hello. My name is Vanessa Naish and I'm a professional support consultant and arbitration practice manager here at Herbert Smith Freehills. I'm joined today by Craig Tevendale, Head of International Arbitration at HSF in London, and Thierry Tomassi, a partner in our arbitration practice in Paris. In today's podcast, we're going to briefly discuss the new ICC Rules 2021. For the sake of our listeners, it is worth saying that these have been released in what might best be called a soft launch and could still be subject to editorial changes before they are formally released in December. They will then come into force on the 1st of January 2021. Thierry, I'd like to start off by asking you to put this new set of rules in context. What is the scale of these changes? Well, thanks, Vanessa. I think it's really important to stress at the outset that this is not an overhaul of the ICC rules. The ICC carried out a huge revision and change in approach back in 2012. Those 2012 rules were extremely innovative and changed the landscape for arbitral institutions globally. The new 2021 rules leave the fundamental framework introduced in 2012 and then updated in 2017 largely unchanged. Many of the changes can be found in Appendix 1 and Appendix 2 to the rules, which relate to the internal running of the ICC court. These include the appointment of the president of the ICC, the formation of committees and special committees to carry out the work of the ICC court and to streamline process. There are also provisions about the constitution and decision-making processes of those committees. For most of our listeners, those changes won't be hugely relevant, and I'd suggest we not dwell on those during the podcast. But that doesn't mean that all the changes are purely administrative. There are some important changes included in the 2021 rules that are worth being aware of as a user or practitioner. That's really helpful, Thierry. So if we park the amendments that are focused on the ICC court, can I ask each of you to identify two or three key changes that you think are particularly interesting or relevant? Craig, can I put you on the spot and ask you to go first? Of course. Um, well, from a client's perspective, uh, the two key changes to the new ICC rules that I would want to know about are firstly that the arbitral tribunal can limit changes to party representation, where the introduction of new representation would create a conflict of interest for the tribunal. And secondly, that the ICC court has a new discretion in exceptional circumstances to deviate from any party agreement on the method of appointing the arbitral tribunal and instead for the ICC court to appoint the entire tribunal itself in order to avoid unequal treatment. Now, those two uh, new features are, in my view, quite a substantial expansion of the powers of the tribunal and the ICC court to override party autonomy on those two important matters. Thanks, Craig. Yeah, they're both very interesting changes. Thierry, those might have been at the top of your list as well, but do you have any others that you would like to add? Absolutely. I would add three more if I could, and these are the amendments to the consolidation and joiner provision, the former being a helpful clarification and the latter being a slight shift in approach. Uh, the requirement that parties disclose third-party funding arrangements, and a highly topical change in that of COVID, the provision for virtual hearings and a shift away from paper filings. That's great. Thank you both. 
So, Thierry, um, let's start off with your three points, if we may, and um, let's let's take them in reverse order. Can you talk us through what has been changed in the rules for virtual hearings? The COVID pandemic has obviously forced all of us to look at the way we work and adapt to the current situation, particularly in terms of working from home. It has also forced lots of arbitral institutions to look at their rules and see if they provide for those changes in how they and their users actually work. We saw this in the recent LCIA rule change when the LCIA moved over to a presumption towards electronic filing of documents and also made provision for remote or virtual hearings. The ICC has done the exact same thing in their 2021 rules. Article 26.1, hearings, now gives the tribunal the power to order a virtual or remote hearing if appropriate. There has also been a shift away from the presumption that pleadings and written communications will be submitted in hard copy in multiple sets. It isn't quite as big a change as the one we saw in the LCAA rules, but the onus has now been placed on the claimant and respondent to decide if they need the pleadings to be delivered physically, and if so, to submit the right number of paper copies. Thank you. I mean, that seems a a very sensible change in light of current and and potentially future practice. Can we move on to talk about the disclosure of third-party funding? What do the new rules say on that? Well, the new rules include a new provision, Article 11.7, which requires that each party promptly notify the Secretariat, Tribunal and the other parties of the existence and identity of any non-party which has entered into an arrangement for the funding of claims or defences and under which it has an economic interest in the outcome of the arbitration. Thanks, Thierry. Now, in some ways, that feels like the next step for the ICC after it included a provision in its, I think it was its 2019 note to parties, where it confirmed that arbitrators needed to disclose in their conflicts of interest relationships with any entity having a direct economic interest in the dispute. I completely agree. By incorporating this into the rules rather than in the guidance, we've now got an express obligation on the parties to disclose their funding arrangements at the outset or at any point during the arbitration if entered into later. And I actually find the language interesting because it's so tightly worded. If you look at the HKIAC rules by way of contrast, there's an obligation to disclose any funding arrangement, as it's put, uh, at all. So we can envisage a situation where some arrangements may not fall under the new ICC definition. For example, insurance arrangements for law firms. That's a really interesting point, Craig. And we'll, we'll have to see whether the ICC produces any guidance on this or actually updates their uh, Secretariat's guide. Um, Thierry, should we finish off now with consolidation and joinder? What's changed here? So I wouldn't describe the amendments on consolidation as a change so much as a clarification. The 2021 rules solve a bit of an open question in Article 10b about whether it was only possible to consolidate claims remainder under a single contract, the provision used the phrase the same arbitration agreement, or allow for the consolidation of disputes under multiple agreements where they had matching arbitration clauses. The 2021 rules have just added in at the end agreement or agreements and have hopefully ended that area of debate. Article 10c has also been tweaked to confirm that it applies in the situation where consolidation is sought, where the arbitration agreement or agreements are not the same. All useful changes. The change to Article 7, Joinder, is a little more substantive. Under the 2012-2017 rules, 
Joinder was only permitted prior to the confirmation or appointment of the tribunal unless all the parties, including the additional party, agreed. The new Article 7.5 now gives the tribunal the power to allow for joinder after they have been formed in certain quite limited circumstances. The fundamental difference here is that it will not be necessary for everyone to agree to the joinder. It will allow for a respondent to join a willing co-respondent without the express agreement of the claimant, provided the tribunal considers it appropriate in the circumstances. However, there's a fundamental requirement that the joint party agree to the terms of reference and the tribunal. If they don't agree, they can't be joined to the arbitration. Thanks, Thierry. Now, Craig, if I can turn back to you, please. Can we focus on the two points that you identified, which were changes to party representation and the discretion for the ICC to deviate from party agreement on an appointment mechanism in exceptional circumstances? Now, the first of these seemed pretty familiar to me. Am I right in thinking this was something that the LCIA introduced in their 2014 rule change? That's right, Vanessa. The new Article 17.2 follows a very similar approach in the LCIA rules, which allows an arbitral tribunal to take any measure necessary to avoid the conflict of interest of an arbitrator arising from a change in party representation including the exclusion of new party representatives from participating in whole or in part in the arbitral proceedings. Now, that change to the LCIA rules six years ago was pretty controversial, and I don't see this change as being any less so. Now, the intention uh, behind the change is, uh, is entirely well-founded because the objective is to prevent parties from making tactical appointments of counsel in order to derail an arbitration by generating a conflict of interest. But even so, this does expressly empower a tribunal to limit a party's uh, freedom to appoint the legal representatives of its choice, and that will jar uh, with some parties for sure. Well, hopefully uh, the provision will act more as a warning and deterrent to parties and prevent this sort of tactical game-playing rather than limit party freedom more widely. Let's hope so, Thierry, absolutely. Thanks, Craig. Now, your second point of particular note for clients was the new discretion for the ICC court to deviate from party agreement on an appointment mechanism, and that's new Article 12.9 of the 2021 rules. Can you talk us through what this new article says and its implications? Certainly. Well, under the new Article 12.9, the ICC Court has a fallback discretion in exceptional circumstances to deviate from any agreement by the parties on the methods of constitution of the tribunal and instead for the ICC Court to appoint the entire tribunal itself. Now, the new provision identifies the basis on which that power should be invoked and it's to avoid a significant risk of unequal treatment and unfairness that may affect the validity of the award. I think to make sense of this provision, you need to go back into the history books to the famous 1992 uh, Dutco case uh, in France. And in that case, the court decided as a matter of public policy that each party must be treated equally in the arbitral process 
and in particular insofar as the appointment of arbitrators is concerned. And Dutko also suggested in those proceedings that this was a principle that was so fundamental that it could not be waived um, prior to a dispute arising. It couldn't be waived on an informed basis, of course. Now, that decision uh, prompted a lot of changes amongst institutional arbitration rules, and in particular in the ICC rules, because the 1998 ICC rules provided for the formation of claimant and respondent sides for the purposes of appointment in multi-party arbitrations. Uh, and that approach was retained uh, in the amendments in 2012 and subsequently again in 2017. So, in effect, the parties were all grouped on one side or the other, and each group uh, had the ability to appoint one arbitrator. Uh, that was the intention of the agreement. Now, we can see in this new Article 12.9 in the 2021 rules a further extension of that principle, uh, which confers this discretion in exceptional circumstances for the ICC court to uh, move away from the agreed tribunal appointment mechanism in order to make sure there is no inequality between the parties in terms of the appointment of the tribunal. But I think there's no doubt that the discretionary nature of this change may be received with some concern by some of the users of arbitration because the ability to nominate uh, a member of the arbitral tribunal for many users is a fundamental right and indeed it's a, it's a cornerstone of arbitral uh, practice and a reason why they choose to arbitrate in the first place. And I think whether that's true uh, of a particular party or not, there will certainly be a great interest in how the ICC will interpret the requirement for there to be exceptional circumstances in the future uh, and to see how frequently this power will be uh, invoked in practice. And Craig, I imagine that there may also be a, a, a bit of a common law civil law divide on whether this public policy principle of equality exists and whether parties can agree contractually prior to dispute arising to have an equal rights on the formation of the tribunal. Yes, I, I think that's right, Jerry. We've, of course, seen similar provisions uh, follow about claimant and respondent signs in nearly all uh, institutional rules since Dutco uh, and since the 98 ICC rules, whether or not they, you take the view that a particular institution adopts a more common law or more civil law approach. But certainly there's likely uh, to be more of a view amongst common law practitioners that the parties should have the freedom to contractually agree their own appointment mechanism or disapply provisions of the institutional rules and that that agreement should uh, trump everything else. Um, so there may well be some discussion about whether and how it will be possible to draft express provisions to limit or disapply entirely uh, this new power under the ICC rules, um, or perhaps explicitly to confirm that the parties may agree to uh, a process which might uh, be perceived as giving rise to potential inequality in certain circumstances. Uh, that said, there's no doubt that the ICC adopts a pretty strict view uh, on the inclusion of provisions of the ICC rules um, compared to some other institutions which take a more relaxed view to the disapplication 
of particular provisions. Um, so look, that's very much an open question because the ICC likes to see its rules applied uh, either in full or not at all. Really interesting. Thank you both, Craig and Thierry. Thank you for your time and for identifying your top five changes of note in the ICC rules. For those listening to this podcast, if you're interested in finding out more or exploring some of the smaller changes, please do read our blog article on the rule changes. You can also contact arbitrationinfo at hsf.com for a copy of our ICC step-by-step guide or our rules comparison table, which will be updated in December once the ICC rules have been confirmed as final. Thank you all very much for joining us.